Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Older Adult to Geriatric Nutrition Answers podcast, presented to you by LongTermCareRD.com. I'm Michelle Sari, your host and presenter of today's episode. Today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. It's more of a Q&A episode, and it's about going through the audit process and just in general, what is the job of the long-term care uh, dietitians. So I'm very excited to talk to you guys about this today. I just wanted to remind you guys, I did talk about in last week's episode, but it is officially out that we have bundled our products. So two of the best-selling products, and it's related to today, so the Long-Term Care Dietitian's Reference Guide, which is your handy ebook guide that has pages of step-by-step examples, practical applications, it's going to make your job so much easier. And then, of course, the Pocket Guide for Dietitians Prepping for State Surveys. These two are easily the most useful products for long-term care dietitians, especially if you're new to the field. So you can buy these in a bundle. You get $25 off of the total purchase price. So I will link everything in today's show notes, Um, but really great resources for you guys to have. I find a lot of the resources out there for long-term care dietitians, it's very obvious that they haven't been written by somebody who's actually practicing. It's somebody that's just in the corporate world and they give you a textbook answer. But we all know, those of us that have actually been practicing, is that we don't need the textbook answer. I need you to walk me through a step-by-step example, tell me exactly the patients that I need to track more often. And so I made those for you. Um, And so they are the easiest guides to follow and they are available in the shop, but I will link them in the show notes for you guys so you can get $25 off. Now, All long-term care dietitians, you will at some point go through either it's called a state survey process or a provincial audit in Canada, wherever you are around the world listening to this, long-term care homes are always audited by somebody. And it's usually by your regulatory body um, in the healthcare unit within your area. And these are very scary, especially for new dietitians. But once you're more prepared for what's to come, they're really not that scary. The people that are auditing you, for the most part, are fairly reasonable. But a lot of new dietitians, the question I get asked is, can you walk me through what a day looks like like that? Like, should I be hiding in a closet or should I actually be interacting with these people? Now, if you hear the yelling in the background, (laughs) this is one of the few times that I'm recording with my daughter in the background and so she wants to be heard on today's podcast as well so that may happen more than once just giving you a heads up (laughs) um but it feels like an interrogation at certain points the state survey process but it's not these people are coming in because they want to make sure that the patients are getting the best care possible now is it a perfect auditing system no absolutely not I've worked in long-term care homes where they aced the survey process, but it was because they were great at paperwork. That was it. I didn't find the care exceptional. And obviously I didn't stay at a facility like that, but then I've been at facilities where the building is 50 years old and there's holes in the wall just from multiple tacks being put in and stuff like that. And it could use a fresh coat of paint, but the service was the best care that you could have ever wanted for your loved one. And so it's not always just the visual appearance, but as the dietitian, I really want to make sure that not only is your paperwork perfect, but the care that you're giving is also perfect. So 
I've been fortunate enough that I've had two amazing registered dietitians, Rachel Landmark and Stephanie Wilkerson. They were both state surveyors, one of current, one previous, and they were kind enough to be interviewed for the website for questions that my readers had sent in about the survey process. So I'll link both of their interviews in the show notes and they are just phenomenal dietitians, I'll tell you that. And so they were able to give more insight into what a state survey process looked like. And so I'll go through some of the questions that they were asked and I'll give you tips as well that I found along the way. So one of the first questions that we got asked is, how do you become a state surveyor? It's, um, it is honestly, it's just job applications. If you see a job application with the Department of Health or the province, wherever it is that you may live, you can apply if you're just a registered dietitian. You don't need a master's degree. You don't need a PhD. You don't need anything. It will be a competitive market because obviously there's other professions that apply to be a surveyor and an auditor, but it's as simple as that. It's a lot of training, a lot of training from what both of them were saying, but it really can make a big difference if that's the career path that you want to take. So let's dive into some of the questions. So number one, what is the most important thing that a dietitian can do to prepare for an upcoming survey? Let's say the months, the weeks, or daily practices that can make themselves ready. The answer is the number one best practice is that you document, document, document. A great saying, if it isn't documented, it's like it never happened. And so when we talk about paper trails, you need to have a paper trail for every type of care that you're doing. Now, there are certain types of patients that you do need to follow up with more often, and I will get into that. Um, But another thing is you want to have a good tracking system in place. So this would be for things like wounds, significant weight loss, the progress of nutrition interventions, and that's all built into your nutrition care plan. So if you have a nutrition monitoring and evaluation plan and you say, I'm going to follow up with this patient in, let's say two to three weeks, because I always recommend giving a window, not necessarily a specific date of when you're gonna follow up. You wanna make sure that there's a paper trail that yes, you did in fact follow up with that patient on that date. And this is where it's really great to have a notebook and a date book that tells you exactly when you're going to be following up with these patients, when your nutrition care plan said you're gonna monitor, evaluate, what are you going to follow up on? Because if you start to miss out on certain follow-ups, that is going to impact the way that a survey process looks at you. Because you can't forget if you said you were gonna follow up with a patient, you documented that in the chart notes, and then you just never follow up with them, that doesn't look good. Now, secondly, there is something called the Critical Elements Pathways, the CEP, and this is for specifically those living in the United States, but it is um, applicable to other areas around the world, is there's certain guidelines, and that's for nutrition, pressure ulcers and pressure injuries, hydration, tube feeding, dining, and kitchen observations. And what these Critical Element Pathways can do is they can help you guide your observations, your audits, all that kind of stuff that you should be doing on a regular basis. Because you never know when a survey is going to come up. All surveys are typically, they're random, they're unannounced. You generally know when your window is, but you won't know the exact day when you walk into work. So it's best practice to have this stuff developed ahead of time. And 
what you want to do too is you want to be very involved. Even though if you're the dietitian, you're only there once, twice a week, you still have to keep up with this stuff throughout the year. So those would be kind of the best tips. Your daily practices add up over the year and all of that is going to impact how the survey process is going to come out. And so I always say to people, if your daily practices are up to date, you're making sure that you're staying on top of things, you're recording things in your own personal calendar so you know what you're doing every single day, you'll be ready for the survey process whether it comes today or whether it comes in six months. So it's really important that you are following your own calendar and relying on your own records. So those would probably be my best tips. Now, the next question is, well, what does the day look like when an auditor walks into the building? What should I be doing? You just go about your day as normal. These auditors, they're not specifically coming just for you, the dietitian, or just for the nursing department. They're coming to audit the entire thing. And so you, as a dietitian, I recommend, like, if they do walk past, you just introduce yourself, let them know that, hey, if you need anything, I'm available. I know a lot of people will say, you know, maybe just kind of steer clear of them, but they're healthcare workers too, they're people too. And so, you always want to be available for questions if they have any about the nutrition department and chances are they will probably ask you a couple questions. You might get away with not being interviewed, especially if they're not specifically looking too much at the nutrition field. Um, in Canada, the way that it works is a little different than the States is that you'll get audited on two out of three the last I heard, uh, two out of three areas. And so the nutrition department doesn't get audited every single audit round. But if you're the dietitian, obviously you're still going to be impacted by the weights audits and your charting skills and things like that. So you might not be specifically the one audited, but you're still a part of a healthcare team that is being audited overall. Um, but you just go about your day as normal. So if you have patients to see, if you have things that you have to get done, which obviously we all do every single day that we walk into work, just go about normal. They're going to be going throughout the building. They're going to be checking water temperatures. They're going to be interviewing um, certain patients. They're going to be interviewing certain management team members. And for a significant portion of the afternoon that they're there, they'll probably be locked in a room and they'll be going through charts. They'll be going through all the paperwork and they don't really want to be disturbed while they're in there. They might pop out because they have some questions about, well, where's this form? Where's this form? Uh, we'd like to see this paperwork. And so they have a set plan when they come in and it deviates a little bit based on what they're seeing throughout the day, but they want to see certain aspects of care. They will audit a dining room, so they will be present. Uh, they typically like to look at some of the more high-risk dining rooms if they are uh, separated. They'll audit the normal dining rooms and so you just want to be available, you want to be present, you want to be supportive of the other staff members that are involved in the audit process too. So um, I've had it where I've been the one that's taken one of the auditors throughout the building and it, it's kind of funny because I, I don't think I should have been one of the people but that's just how it ended up working out and so they're asking me how do you turn on the tub, how do you do, um, how do you raise it up and lower it and of course as a dietitian I don't have a clue, I don't function the tubs, I don't work with them at all um, but I tried my best and the lady was just so incredibly kind about it and she actually knew how to do it and so when I said I'm like oh you know I'm not too sure, she was more than happy to start playing around with the buttons and so 
it's important that you're just honest if they ask you questions. You don't have to throw other people under the bus, but always be honest because if you get caught up in trying to pretend that you know something or you pretend that you did something that you didn't do, you're going to get dinged way harder than if you're just honest and say, you know what, I'm not too sure, let me get back to you. And so with the tub incident, just as a example, I had no clue how it worked. And so I just told her that. And I said, I'd be happy to go get a staff member in here. And she goes, oh, let's just figure it out for ourselves. And so, you know, it was a resolution to a very small situation overall, but a situation nonetheless that I felt very under pressure for. Um, But just they're, they're human. They're very nice usually. And just go through whatever they want you to go through. And the day will come to an end at some point. The next tip is, do you have any tips to aid in preventing a citation when there's been a resident that complains about meals? Always document. I know that that is a very repetitive answer, but they want to see that you're working towards it. Um, And so what they're looking for is they're looking for good faith efforts to accommodate the resident's preferences. Obviously, in long-term care, you need more than one menu choice. So the resident needs to have an alternative menu choice, um, an always available menu. Has the resident been educated on the alternative meal choices? Or um, if the resident has the main menu meal and they find out that they don't like it, are they allowed to ask for anything else? What's the facility's policy on providing alternatives? Does the resident know that they have the choice to choose something else? And is it documented that the resident is fairly consistently refusing the meal offered and then offered something different? What was the resident's response? And so these are the typical questions that the surveyor is going to ask you and they might even ask the resident too. So documentation will be your best friend in a situation like this because What I have found is that they will interview residents in the long-term care facility that are more cognitively intact so they can get answers from them. And so I've had patients in the past where they fairly consistently give feedback or complaints about the meals. And this is something that these conversations, not every single one, because you will have some residents that'll come every single day to tell you what they were displeased with. And that's their right to do that. But what you want to do is you want to make sure that you do have fairly consistent documentation. So just every couple weeks that you've touched base with the resident, you've educated them on the alternatives that they can offer. You've tried your best to accommodate preferences. So that looks different for every facility. But having these consistent conversations and consistent documentation, it will really aid you in not failing on that survey audit portion of it. So you're not going to please everybody. If you have a couple hundred patients in your facility, there is guaranteed to be some patients that are not going to like every single meal. And that's okay. But is there a way that with your alternate menu choice, whether that's um, sandwiches that they can choose from, can you put one of their favorite sandwiches as an alternate that they can ask for? And if you have a kitchen within your facility, obviously that's a lot easier than if you're ordering in from a distribution facility. But In this scenario, good documentation is key and it's a team effort as well, especially if you have a scenario there where the resident is losing weight because they're declining um, the meals. You really want to have documentation to support that they are being offered the main meal and alternatives and you're trying your best to accommodate snacks as well. 
So next question. A resident continues to lose weight month after month. Nutrition interventions by the dietitian have been exhausted and they're not working any longer to prevent weight loss. The reason for weight loss is unspecified, could be associated with just aging or general decline. How does the dietitian document and work not to get a citation? So what you want to do is you want to document the weight trends. So you're looking, is there a significant weight loss? What category does it fall into? The percentage of meal intakes, percentage of supplement intakes. Perhaps you conduct a mealtime observation and a dining room observation to determine, does this patient need additional assistance to eat? You also want to document every nutrition interventions that you have tried and the resident's overall response, both the weight and if they liked it and accepted it or not. You want to ask the resident and their loved ones what their nutrition goals are. Does the resident want to stop weight loss or is the resident at a point in their life where they're simply accepting of their current condition? Another area that you want to look at, and this is going to be a real team approach, is look at the resident's advanced care directives. So if oral intake is not meeting their caloric needs, does your facility even offer um, artificial nutrition? Does the resident have resuscitation or is it medical care or is it comfort care? If somebody is not wanting extreme interventions, then they should not be resuscitation. And this is a discussion that nursing staff and social worker needs to have with the resident and their family. Now, we always need to remember, and your surveyors obviously know that, sometimes weight loss and a decline in condition, it's unavoidable. But just remember that you always want to make sure that you're documenting um, the nutrition interventions, the nutrition goals, your nutrition monitoring. You want to acknowledge that the weight loss and decline is happening and you acknowledge it and you're trying to prevent it. But there will be a certain point where you may simply document that further nutri nutrition interventions are not expected to improve residents' weight or condition. But when you do have this as a documentation, you want to include that you've discussed with the family and the patient. This should not be an isolated thought that you're having. This should be something that is discussed and acknowledged with the family. And they may even have some ideas for how to prevent further weight loss if it is unavoidable or if it is avoidable, sorry. Next, what are some tips and areas that a dietitian can look at when auditing the kitchen to avoid citations? Should they be looking at specific safety issues, sanitation issues, staffing issues, etc.? So here you're going to want to review the critical element pathway that has to do with the kitchen. Um, I'll link that in the show notes as well. This pathway goes through probing questions about kitchen safety, sanitation, and staffing. It's a really useful tool to improve your audit process. So you always want to ask yourself, what is the resident outcome? you should be asking this currently, constantly, sorry, when determining sufficient staffing. Sure, it may look like the kitchen may be understaffed, but you have to look at the outcomes. Are the meals being served late or are they on time? Are you running out of food or do they need to order more food in? Are there increased complaints about the food quality, such as temperature, texture, taste? Is there increased weight loss you're seeing overall? So if the answer is yes, then there will be a sufficient staffing citation. Now this isn't always obviously within the direct control of the dietitian. What the dietitian's role is to do the audits, present your audit findings, and give it to your management team to make improvements. You can give improvement suggestions, 
but you want to make sure that you're at least doing that audit because you won't necessarily be dinged for failing a citation if it's not within your direct control. So just keep that in mind. Next question. In relation to ITSE diet textures being implemented, are surveys up to date with ITSE standards? So no, there's no specific regulations about whether your facility needs to adopt ITSE or not. Um, they look at what the facility's policies are and if policies are being followed, but there's not a national guideline that people need to adopt ITSE. Um, if a facility allowed to buy food at a grocery store instead of order it in from a supplier if the census is quite low. So yes, facilities can buy from an approved source, but you need to check with your state's laws on what food grade is acceptable. And obviously you're going to want to have this built into a policy of the source that you're going to. So do you have a list of general questions that you ask dietitians that can help them prepare? So generally when they want to talk to the dietitian, the dietitian questions will be specifically geared towards a situation that they're investigating. So be sure to know your residents and explain your process or reasoning for specific interventions. So they don't have a specific list that when they interview the dietitian, these are the questions they're asking. They more have if they're investigating, let's say there's been a pressure injury or a wound and they're looking at the steps that were followed to either improve that wound or what interventions were put in place, they will ask you questions about that specific situation. Now it's really important and I want to stress this that if you don't know the answer, don't try to come up with one. You are allowed to say, you know what, I don't know the answer, I'm going to have to look at the chart to see specifically what the scenario was and then I can answer your question. You do not have to come up with answers off the top of your head, that's not the way it works. Especially when you have a couple hundred residents, it's really hard to remember specifically why you did or didn't do something. And so don't feel like you always have to have the answer right then and there. You are allowed to go look at the chart, you are allowed to review your documentation. So really keep that in mind that you can say, I don't know, but I will find out for you. Don't simply say, I don't know. Um, but what they're really looking at when they're interviewing you and asking you questions will continue with the wound um, example is they want to know what was your clinical thinking when you went down the path to try to get to the answer or the nutrition intervention that you did. So it's really important that in all of the scenarios in your day-to-day -day practice, and this will help you come up with how to do and be prepared for a survey, is that you need to have sound clinical reasoning as to why you're doing what you're doing and why are you doing the specific nutrition interventions that you're proposing. Okay, so that's one way that you can be prepared and one way that when they ask you questions, you're going to have the answers for it. So it always comes back to what is your clinical judgment and how did you get there? So that's really important. So next question, how should a nutrition care plan look in MDS to be comprehensive? So I will just go with what the state surveyor told me when they responded to this question. So this is from Rachel Landmark. She said, in my opinion, the nutrition care plan is not accurately represented based on the MDS data. You can be more descriptive in the CAA, however. When writing the nutrition portion in a resident's nutrition care plan, always bring it back to person-centered care. Don't just write down their diet orders, supplements, and textures. Write down their likes, dislikes, any religious accommodations. Maybe the resident likes to sleep in, so you provide a brunch-like mid-morning snack. 
write that in the care plan. Maybe the resident suddenly hates chocolate even though they have enjoyed chocolate in the past. Write it in the care plan. The more personal the care plan, the better someone can care for that resident. Now, I thought Rachel's answer was fantastic um, because I constantly stress this with dietitians is that we're moving into person-centered care and this means that the care plan needs to be individualized. So look at a nutrition care plan like this. If somebody came into your facility and they read through the nutrition care plan, would they be able to take care of that patient and every aspect of their care from the moment they woke up to the moment that they went to bed? Would they know exactly what foods they liked and didn't like? Would they know exactly what diet texture they were on and how much assistance they need at meals or if they need any? Would they know that they need their glasses to eat at meals? Would they know that this person likes the napkin in a specific place or doesn't want a napkin at all? This is what should be reflected in the nutrition care plan. So it's really important that all of this is laid out perfectly. So the last question that I'm going to talk on today, or two, but they're related to each other, is on liberalizing a diet because this is a question that I get asked fairly frequently. So as a surveyor, what specific documentation are you looking for in the resident's medical record to ensure regulatory compliance and liability avoidance of liberalizing diet textures for quality of life? So what they want to see is they want to see documentation from the registered nurses, the physicians, the speech language pathologists, the dietitian, as well as input from the resident and or their representatives. If the resident can make their own healthcare decisions, then the resident must be educated on the risks of liberalizing the textured diets. The education must be documented in their chart. If a resident cannot make their own healthcare decisions, then their representative must be educated and they must give consent. As always, document everything. And the other connected question is, from a regulatory standpoint, whose, whose credentials are used for liberalizing texture and educated on the risks of doing so? So the ultimate decision of diets, it has to be up to the resident and or their representative. The order needs to be signed by the physician and education on the risks of diet liberalization does not have to come from a specific credential. Although a SLP or RD may be more knowledgeable in the area, so they may be the best person to have those discussions. So I hope that kind of answers your question. I know a frequent question that I get is, should they sign a consent form that they accept the risks? Sure, but it doesn't really stand up from what I've heard in court. I've read one or two court cases where those were challenged in court and they didn't end up standing up. I believe I do have those linked um, in the articles that I'll provide. What's more important is that you're documenting that you had the conversation, you write exactly what risks you talked about, which includes the risk of aspiration pneumonia, the risk of early death, the risk of choking to death. These are all risks that are associated when you liberalize a diet texture and I'm an advocate for diet texture liberalization by the way I, I'm not discouraging it but you do need to have those very serious conversations with the resident and or their representative because it's not something to be taken lightly there are serious health consequences to it so as a dietitian I always like to have the speech language pathologist involved in these conversations because they are the experts in swallowing and they have had so many conversations like this in their careers so they're a great asset to you. And I always revisit that conversation multiple times. And it's because situations change. I've talked about this in previous episodes in the liberalizing diet episodes, but 
I always at least have this conversation quarterly when I'm doing a reassessment. And it's because people's minds change. Maybe their swallowing has gotten progressively worse. And so now they're having trouble swallowing. Whereas when they made the decision to liberalize their diet and not necessarily be, let's say, on a mince texture diet, they want just a soft diet, maybe they've changed their mind and now they actually are like, you know what, swallowing's gotten a lot more difficult. I would like to be on the mince texture diet. So revisiting these conversations at least quarterly, just to, you know, you're not trying to pressure them to go with the liberalize or the mince texture diet, but you're just letting them know, you know what, it's still an option. If you're interested in going with a mince texture diet, it will make chewing and swallowing a little bit easier for you. Do you want to revisit it or are you content with where you're at? And so what surveys and audit process want to see is they want to see that you have had that conversation more than one time and that you do continually revisit it just to educate the patient and or their family members that, you know, we just want to check in. We just want to see what your thoughts are on going with the alter texture diet. So just keep that in mind and you want to document any time that you're having these conversations. So that's all that I have for you today. Now, I will link in the show notes the two interviews that I did with the state surveyors because there were many more questions that were asked, but I don't want this episode to go too long. So they were so fantastic. So just thank you to Rachel Landmark and Stephanie Wilkerson. I will give Stephanie Wilkerson a shout out. She is a phenomenal dietitian who came up with a state survey course. It's called Be a State Survey Ready RDN, the course. I have a link to it that I will give to you. You can get 24.5 CEUs, which is amazing. Now, what she does is she gives you the confidence to make sure that you're state ready. She has multiple recorded videos where she guides you through exactly what the state survey process. She goes through F tags and how to avoid them. She teaches you the terminology that you need to know. So I cannot recommend this course enough. I've done it before. I've sent it out um, with our email list and so you guys have heard about it. I really recommend that if you're not sure about it, at least just go through the link because Stephanie has an introductory video that's totally free to listen to and she talks about what's in the course, how she's going to help you. And if you want to be state survey ready, who better to learn from than a dietitian that was a state surveyor? I can't recommend this enough. And so I'll have the link in the show notes, so be sure to just click on it and check it out. And that's all we have to talk about today, but be sure to like and follow the show on your Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If I could ask you to give it a five-star rating and review, that's really helpful. It just, it's no cost to you, and it just helps to put this show in front of more people. And be sure to share the show with people that you think would really benefit from this, because I'm here to help. I really want to make sure that all dietitians feel more prepared for what they do in their jobs. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at LongTermCareRD. Find the website at www.LongTermCareRD.com. And in the show description notes, you will find all the articles that I talked about and the links today. Hope you have a great week and we'll talk again next week.